0: Hello everyone. My name is Stephanie Ghoston Paul. I'm the host of the Take Nothing When I Die podcast. Take Nothing When I Die amplifies and celebrates the wisdom and genius of people who've managed multiple careers in one lifetime. Hello, party people, living ancestors, friends of the show. You made it to the 24th episode of the Take Nothing When I Die podcast. This is Stephanie Ghost, and I'm your host. And this is a solo episode all about is it time to break up? We're talking about breakups here. This might be in a romantic context, a friend context a professional role or partnership that no longer fits you. So we'll be talking about all of that today, some useful tips and what I have been doing as I am in a season of lots of breakups in very many ways. So please stay tuned in to hear all about that. I really want to emphasize part of the breakup process is using what you have, doing it in a way that keeps you aligned with your integrity, and also what you know to be true and important to you. So we'll get into that after we go through these typical solo segments. So let's get into it. Y'all know the first one is all about how I'm really doing and why. And this is the first question that I ask every single guest that comes on the show. I want to know for real, for real, how are you doing? Not the autopilot canned answer that we typically give when people ask this question and sometimes they don't actually even want to know the answer. So how am I really doing right now for real, for real? You know, July was wild. There was so much stuff happening and it feels like I'm finally coming into a clearing space an alignment space a balance space and i don't say that in a way to take away my own agency because as i look at my calendar you know i am the person who put all those things on there and said yes to things what was happening for me was there's a lot of stops and starts in terms of projects that have been on hold events that needed to be designed And some last minute stuff that also came up that I definitely said yes to. And also just a lot of family stuff going on. So we're still in a pandemic. (laughs) There's an international uprising, mainstream uprising for Black liberation. Plus, a lot of us are figuring out our roles at home as partners, as teachers, as information centers. And we also have like everyday life and family stuff going on. So, I will say that it does feel weird that I'm staying in like I think I've reached a point in this pandemic where the rest of the world seems to be out and about like nothing's happening or has happened it's just It's just really weird <laughs> it's weird to see it's weird to see folks on Instagram posting pictures at brunch or like saying that you know they're out and about or heading out. And I don't see not a mask. I don't see not a six feet, nothing. So it just feels really weird. The thing is, I feel very clear that if I am wrong, right? Like if this whole time, like it wasn't that bad or we actually can be outside and play with each other and all those things, if I'm wrong, I'm I'm okay with that because I'll just have missed some social events. That's really about it. I am considering like, maybe this is my new lifestyle, right? Like Spending my days and nights and my weekends differently, not doing some of the things that I would typically do. And it really has me thinking like some people have lived like this for a very long time or have actually been asking for the shifts that this time period has been bringing us. So just hyper aware of that and also feeling really excited for how August is already shaping up, knowing that it will be very different from July. So thank you, July. Thank you all for all those lessons in August. I'm coming for you. The second segment is about pleasure. What's bringing me pleasure? And this segment is really talking about something that has largely been taboo, especially in the United States, especially for women, especially for Black women in particular. And so when I think about The connotations around pleasure It being like a guilty pleasure Something you do in secret Something we don't tell people about This segment is just breaking that down, right? So you'll hear me talk about what's making me smile What am I proud of? What am I inspired by? What is bringing me pleasure? And this time, y'all Like, I just want to be really real I have been trying a bunch of new sparkling rosés That's it That's really it If you know me, you know I love rosé. The only thing I love more than rosé is sparkling rosé. And there's just been something about trying some of the new sparkling rosés that I've seen pop up on the shelves. Like the bubbles and the crispiness is intensified when that sparkling rosé is so cold. So not only have I been trying new ones, I've also been putting them in the freezer once I'm ready to drink. I don't know if this is like a wine faux pas. so. I just might be out of myself there. (laughs) But there's something so pleasurable about cold, crispy bubbles. All right, last segment. It's called The Future Is Now. And this is really about the fact that we don't have to wait until some arbitrary date or the future to to practice the changes that we actually want to see now. All of my work is going towards a world where we're all free, whole, and enough. And so instead of waiting till the future when that actually has happened. You will hear in this segment about how I'm practicing that, being free, whole, and enough, practicing that future I want to see right now. So the what I've been practicing is so interesting, and it really goes with the topic today. I do think I've been in a, a phase of breakups, and phase feels probably like not the word I want to use because it feels like it's been a long time, and maybe I'm just much more conscious of it now, but With all of the shifts that are happening in my life, whether it's with relationships or partnerships or how I'm relating to my work, I have really been practicing releasing judgment. And this judgment for me comes up in so many ways, like it comes up as shame or guilt or comparing sometimes, and I've just found so much more now than ever before that judgment is like not useful for me. It's super heavy. It's usually not mine to carry. And for me, it's been coming up a lot in the context of forgiveness, right? Like I can say that I forgive myself or forgive other people, but then something will come up, a flashback, a memory, an old pattern or a belief or, or way of thinking or being. And then these judgments come up, right? Like I should have known better. Oh, man, I was foolish for doing that. So-and-so wouldn't have done that. You know, and again, the shame and the guilt spiral. So I'm in the moment and proactively have been practicing releasing judgment. And doing that for myself has really helped me to put on that hat for other people. So that when I see behavior, when I experience that behavior, I can release some of the judgment, knowing it's not about me. It's about that person and their stuff. And again, this is just, it's actually kind of a segue for our topic for this episode. Now it's time to get into the main topic. I hope this one is a juicy one. It is kind of a misnomer. The main question I want to answer today and talk about is, is it time to break up? Now again, this is in your romantic relationships, your platonic relationships. Maybe it's time for you to break up with the role you currently have in your professional life. Maybe it's a partnership that's not working out. But I, it's a misnomer because even the way that the question is phrased, you already know the answer, right? If you're asking the question, you know that it's time to break up. It really is about how do we fully step into what we already know? And then the question becomes like, how do we break up? And when do we break up? And what does it look like? And what do we need within the breakup? So I'm not trying to trick y'all. I'm just letting you know, like, if you're asking, is it time to break up? You already know the answer. So a lot of what I'll share today is how do we affirm, confirm, validate what we already know and strengthen the wisdom that we have around it? So that we don't find ourselves asking this question over and over and over again. So as I said, I'm excited to talk about this because I do think that breakups have been brewing in my life in a number of ways. This year, last year, 2018, like I feel like I've broken up with cities, with <laughs> friends, with organizations, with clients, with beliefs, right? Like I, 2020, I had a, a vision of what this year would bring in terms of my plans, my travel, my business, how things were supposed to be, so I've been breaking up with that i've been breaking up with stagnation and self sabotage, and probably the biggest thing the biggest shift for me in terms of my personal and professional development has been breaking up with being tired of other people believing in me more than I believed in myself. so I actually always think we're in the practice of breaking up it's like are we conscious of it or not? Are we doing it subconsciously, unintentionally, or can we put some intention behind it? So I just want to share a couple of helpful steps to navigate breakups, right? And I'm breaking these down into kind of like, what's the pre-individual stuff you need to do? What is the stuff you need to do when you're actually engaging with the other person, entity, organization, client, whatever? And then what do you have to do afterwards, after you have that engagement? So listen in. And of course, as always, I want to hear from folks how you are receiving this content. It may be helpful as I'm going through the steps for you to think about a very specific situation. This might be a current situation that's happening in your life. It also may be one that has just passed. Maybe it's fresh, or maybe there's something that's coming to mind that It's still standing out, still triggering, still painful all these years later. So as we move throughout, be thinking like, how does this apply to the situation that I'm conjuring up or how does it apply to how I'm thinking about a current situation? And I would love, love, love to hear how these tips impact how you handle, heal from, or continue to ruminate on the situation that came to mind. So first, as we're considering breakup, the how, the when, the trusting of ourselves, is it time to break up, knowing that it probably is, I think it's really, really helpful to take stock of the situation using what you already have. So when I think about breakups, usually it's not like one explosive thing that happens and then people break up, right? It's almost like there's this slow drip that builds over time. The metaphor that comes to mind is like a cup of water that's directly under the faucet. And that faucet is dripping, drip, drip, drip. And the first couple of drips like are nothing, right? Especially in an eight ounce glass, you don't really notice it. You might hear it, but you don't really notice it. All the way until it gets to the very top. And then those last couple of drips, there's like one drip that actually makes it overflow and start spilling over, right? That's how I see and how I've typically experienced breakups. Maybe there is an event that marks the overflow, but typically it's not just one thing, right? It's the it's a number of red flags. It's a number of things. I'm also going to invoke Dr. Ish from Marriage Boot Camp reality show, and I'm not ashamed to say that I watched that. Well, actually, only certain seasons. I kind of watch the trailer and figure out, should I watch this whole season Or should I just watch the reunion at the end? That's kind of my filter for that. But Dr. Ish (laughs) on that show talks about how couples fight or or on that show talks about how even if couples don't fight, it builds up over time. And then they end up having these, what he calls, past the salt explosions, right? So little thing happens, they don't talk. Little thing happens, they don't talk. They continue to grow apart. They kind of nitpick and be passive aggressive towards each other. And then one day someone says pass the salt and there's like a meltdown. They flip the table, they throw food, they punch something, right? Because all these little things over time that didn't get addressed manifested itself in a huge explosion over something that was so seemingly small, right? So again, I'm hoping it doesn't get to that in terms of your breakup. But I do think as you're contemplating what it would be like, what it's going to take, what it's going to require to break up, I really encourage you to set aside time and space to process, right? To really feel into and through what it is you need to in order to process the breakup that is happening. The thing is, it's happening already, right? There hasn't been an official engagement or communication about it. But too often what we're doing instead of slowing down and feeling into is we're speeding up and trying to move past, right? Like I know some runners in my life, and when I say runners, I mean people, and when I say people, I mean me, (laughs) who fill up their lives, right, and fill up their calendars, and they are – involved in everybody else's business, but their own. They are taking on an extra side hustle. They've got another job. They're helping their families. They are, you know, taking on the cooking. They are trying out a new hobby. And none of these things in and of themselves are bad or wrong. Don't get me. Like, uh, no disrespect to any of those activities, hobbies, or ways of spending your time. When we're doing those activities, in order to numb ourselves or pretend that something's not happening or avoid, that's when I think that there is an issue, right? So we would actually have to pause. We would have to slow down. We would actually have to take time to process what is and has been happening. And as you pause, you can think about, you know, what's happened in the relationship? Where did it go wrong? What is it that you actually want? What do you want from the relationship? What do you want to change? What do you want to learn? What do you want to happen? And I think when we don't do this inquiry, it shows up in the way we engage with people because we come to the table, we don't even know what to ask for. We don't actually even have a request. I think about this in my own life as I've navigated breakups. I'm like, wait, what do I actually even want this person to do? I don't actually have an ask of them. Or sometimes I'm like, oh, wait, I had this idea or expectation of how this was going to be, I realized I never actually voiced that, right? I think taking stock is so important also because it honors the wisdom we already have around the situation. Now, some of us go to our group chat, again, no shade. Some of us have trusted advisors, mentors, people we love trust to ask for outside external help, support, or validation. And again, None of this is terrible in and of itself. But When we continue to go to these sources without consulting the original source that has so much wisdom, has so much information for us, which is ourselves, then we do ourselves a disservice. Ultimately, we have to live our own life. So making time and space to listen to ourselves reinforces that we have something very, very important to say. Now, as we take stock and use what we have, there's a couple things that I just want to remind folks of within this point. When I say use what you have, I actually mean that. Like, I think sometimes people don't understand when the phrase is invoked, you have everything you need, we actually mean that. Like, literally, your brain, your body, your nervous system. Probably your inbox, your call logs, your Google Drive, right? Like you have all of the things that you need to take stock of the current situation. So again, it's not like a tit for tat or a test or like comparing or like, okay, I did this and then they did this and then I did this and then they did this. It's not that. It is naming the truth of the situation. So who was reaching out? Who was making the effort? Who broke whose boundaries? how did you attempt to get in right relationship can you see what has happened from their perspective what information did you have that they didn't what information didn't you have right so use what you have and i think this has come through in a major way for me in the past couple of weeks as i think about the tools the filters the lenses the value systems that i hold and carry that have been super helpful to make the decision and and how to carry it out. So y'all know that I'm a facilitator. I work with organizations on their identity. We work on culture and identity transformation. And we're looking at, you know, the core of who they are and what they believe and how they operate. So when we're doing that work, when organizations are trying to become more equitable, more inclusive, when they're trying to practice what they preach in terms of their anti-racist commitment, they have tools for making decisions that keep at bay the biases that led them to the spot that they're in now, right? I feel like nothing is worse than like a group of people realizing that they messed up and then trying to fix that mess up, going about it in the same way that caused the mess up in the first place. And so as organizations are shifting their culture, shifting their identity, they have tools to keep them in alignment with the identity that they're trying to build. One of those things is an equity lens. Some people call it an equity filter, equity lens, equity tool. And basically what it is, is a screen, a set of questions, a tool for decision-making to make sure that you're considering different perspectives different impacts, different things that may not have come to mind originally when you made your decision, right? We all go to our defaults. We all go to our conditioning, our biases. We are impacted by systems that privilege us, systems that disadvantage us, and those go into our decision-making. So that equity tool is crucial And so in the last few weeks, when I've been faced with the decision, not only have I been thinking about an equity lens, like what would an equity lens have to say about this? What is the impact? Who's not at the table? What is the long-term sustainability of this effort? Should it be me or should it be someone else? Like, am I in my lane or not? I also realized I have other lenses That would be really helpful for making this decision. And sometimes I've really externalized or professionalized those lenses. And I know I probably just made that word up. But I think there's this thing that happens that like, we believe that something lives and should only live in the professional realm. And it actually has a personal application. And so, for me, as someone who does believe in abolition, someone who does believe in transformative justice, those are not stances that live outside of my personal space and my personal relationships and my personal boundaries. Abolition, I apply that to law enforcement. I also apply it in the way that I interact with friends and my partner. Transformative justice isn't just a frame or a process for community accountability somewhere out there with those people it's actually how I hold myself accountable so as I was faced with this decision about breaking up I really had to sit down and take some time to think about what does abolition say about this what does transformative justice say about this what does valuing people's humanity say about this And with that in mind, I was able to look at different dimensions of the breakup and how I wanted to engage that were in alignment with those lenses that I hold. I also knew I had some personal lenses that I applied to things. And again, if professionalizing is a word, so is personalizing, right? That there are some personal filters I use that I hadn't necessarily consistently applied to my work, right? So the question of like, Is it bringing me joy? Is it life-giving? Does it challenge my beliefs? Like, is it generative? Is it uplifting? Those lenses and those questions are ones that I typically ask for activities or situations that I deem to be personal. And they actually have a quote-unquote professional context. And again, I'm saying these as quote-unquote because I know the professional is tied to the personal. There is actually no distinction. We could talk about political being the personal, right? It's the same thing. So, as I was contemplating a recent breakup or the engagement part of a recent breakup, as I said, I think we're breaking up all the time, I really had to check myself. And I'm like, okay, right now, what I want is revenge. (laughs) Right now, what I want is to be petty. And actually, right now, what I want is punishment, which does go against what I believe, according to abolition and restorative justice and transformative justice. So I think using what you have, the lenses that you either use in a personal context, a professional context, political context, or all of those can be ways that you can analyze your current breakup situation. I think it also helps you get to the root causes of where this thing is coming from. And I just want to say, like, Revenge, being petty, punishment, nothing inherently terrible about those things. I totally see why some people believe that those things are required for some of the harm that has happened to them and other people in their communities. I'm just saying it has really shifted the way I look at conflict, harm, relationships by applying that abolition, that transformative justice, that restorative justice lens. Another thing to remember as you're taking stock and using what you have is to look at the common denominator which if if you didn't know it's you. <laughs> I think during these processes it can be really easy to externalize and kind of one-way it, right? Like this is not about you blaming yourself per se, but it is about responsibility. It is about accountability, right? I think about the way that I can conjure up a situation and only talk about what someone has done to me or how they failed or how they've disappointed or how they've made mistakes. And I fail to look at what was my role? Again, not in a blaming way, but what flags did I see? How did I get here by ignoring my own truth? Can I trace the path from where we first started to where we are now? And a lot of times what I have noticed is some of the anger that I have held towards this person, some of the resentment that I've held, some of the like finger wagging actually is for myself. I've externalized that thing. Like I'm pissed at so-and-so because they did this, 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 but I'm actually pissed at myself because I didn't put up a boundary or I didn't stick to it. I've also said, like, oh my gosh, I need to forgive so-and-so. Like they did me wrong and they they harmed me and they shouldn't have said this, they shouldn't have done this. And what I realized when I looked at the common denominator, which is me, is that I actually needed to forgive myself. I needed to forgive myself for not speaking up or for letting it slide or for ignoring my intuition, for not operating in integrity. And so it is really taking stock of how you've externalized what has happened and externalize your power. Because really, it is an empowering action to say, here is what I need for my healing, which really has nothing to do with the other party, other than the fact that the incident illuminated it, or maybe triggered it, right? This terrible friendship, or bad partnership, or abusive role triggered me into work that I already needed to do. And so we can look at it in that way and put the spotlight on ourselves so that we can take some accountability for what has happened. And I think it's also important as I think about just this idea of accountability in general, I think there's this idea that we can actually hold other people accountable. And I don't think that's actually true, right? Like I can set up a boundary, I can make a request, I can. Ask for something that I need. And ultimately, that person has to choose and consent into saying yes or showing up or taking responsibility or holding accountability. I can set up the conditions, I can set myself and them up as best as possible, but ultimately, they have to step into that accountability. So, really, taking stock and using what you have is about doing your part of the accountability piece. Use what you have, don't externalize, look at yourself. Okay, so as you're contemplating a breakup, you definitely wanna take stock and use what you have. Secondly, you wanna engage the other party or parties. And this seems so simple, y'all, like, oh, duh, like you should communicate. And I guess except, except in extreme versions when you need to ghost somebody, you can't just break up on your side, like in your head. In your text, in your paper. Like, you can't do that. You just can't do that. The thing is, I I do feel like there is some internal work that has to happen before you engage, right? Like, getting grounded. And here's where um, a, a reminder, an affirmation, realization is key. Before walking into the engagement with the other party or parties, You have to remember that the truth, your truth, doesn't depend on outside recognition. I'm going to say that again. Remember that your truth does not depend on outside recognition. And I say this because when we don't get grounded in this before we walk into an engagement, we can get all twisted, turned upside down, right? The example that I use with clients is I could say, you know what, so-and-so, the sky is blue. And I walk into a conversation and they're like, the sky is not blue, it's green, or I experience it as black. Actually, I don't see a sky at all. They can gaslight you into believing or thinking or even entertaining that your truth is not your truth. And how I see this show up in breakups is you, you do your work, you take stock, you, you look at your role, you don't externalize, right? You use what you have and you come to the table and you say, hey, here's how I've been hurt. Here's what I need. Here's how you harm me. Here's how this can no longer work. And their reaction is one of the following. They don't believe you. They negotiate with you. They tell you it's not as bad as you think. They say, oh, well, you know, I didn't intend to do that they may say, oh, you know what? There was some misinformation there. Let me clarify, right? Sometimes they lash out and say like, no, you're the problem, it's not me. Sometimes they make it about all about them. What about me? What about me? Sometimes they get mad because no one else has ever told them this. And sometimes they think about like, well, you, you said you would do this. You promised you would do this. You've shown up to do this before. Like, why are you tripping now? So if I come with my truth, and I get a particular reaction, if I am not grounded in remembering that the truth doesn't depend on their recognition, then I will continue to engage from a place of defensiveness, right? Because how I will counter that is to argue, (laughs) argue about my worth, right? I want them to understand that I'm right. So I'm trying to convince them, I'm trying to convince you that what happened really happened. I'm trying to convince you that I was actually harmed. I'm trying to convince you that like you hurt me and, and there's healing that needs to happen. So if we can get grounded in remembering we're not going into this engagement to convince them that we're right, we don't need their recognition for our truth, we can stay grounded in that as we interact with them and respond in alignment with our values, right? And so instead of responding to like prove our credibility, our worth, um, our harm, uh, the healing that needs to happen, we might engage in a very different way. We might say something like, huh, I'm not going to take this personal. This is actually not about me. I might lead with curiosity. I might come with some grace and compassion. And ultimately, my response will model the thing that I probably didn't get from that relationship right? And we model not for them to get it. Again, it's not for their recognition or their validation. We model for ourselves. We model so that we humanize ourselves and we don't get stuck in these cycles of trauma. Like our trauma triggers their trauma and we respond with our trauma. And now we're both in trauma cycles, right? I think about a client I had who A couple months ago was telling me about an employee that they were dealing with. And it was just so difficult to be in relationship with this employee. This employee came from a pretty abusive management style, not a lot of training or just support on how to be a great colleague and show up for people and themselves. And so a client was having a really, really difficult time relating to this um, employee and also just being in relationship. Like it was a new relationship. They were trying to like lay the, a solid foundation for working together and they were just having such a hard time. And in response to some of the, what, what I would name as trauma responses from this employee, my client was playing right into that. Like they were giving this employee tests and they were like kind of tricking them and they were sitting on fool's errands and like doing all of these things that were in the spirit all of these things that were in the spirit of how that relationship was currently manifesting, right? Like sometimes I would call it a little petty, sometimes a little revengey, sometimes a little like punishment E because this person was inflicting harm upon themselves and other people. And my client was responding in the same way. And so we, when we finally got down to it, to the root of it, we did, we did a little bit of taking stock. We did a little bit of using what we had, And they were really frustrated, like, well, I just I just don't know how to reach this person. Like, you know, being nice doesn't work. Like being graceful and compassionate doesn't work. And I said, that is the thing that is needed in this moment. And they're like, well, they don't get it, they're not gonna receive it, they don't know what it looks like, they've never experienced it. And I said, It's actually not for them. It's for you. For you to continue to respond in this particular way to. Reset and reflect cycles of trauma, your own and this person's, is ultimately dehumanizing. It takes something out of you. It actually dehumanizes us to dehumanize other people. So, you modeling grace and compassion is not solely for this person to like get it or receive it. You need to model grace and compassion because that's what you need. (laughs) That's what you need for your healing. That's what you need to bring to the table. And what we came to was that because they hadn't been shown grace and compassion and because my client was healing around grace and compassion, the most effective and healthy response was to show grace and compassion, even if that person didn't get it. Sometimes we want to know like, oh, why am I doing this? Like, is this planting a seed of transformation, this person? Hopefully it is, but also none of your business. It's actually none of your business because how they are responding has nothing to do with you. But you have work to do and we need to hold ourselves accountable to that. All right, last thing. After you take stock and use what you have, after you engage, doing a little bit of internal work on reminding yourself that the truth doesn't depend on outside recognition, after you respond in a way that reflects your values and your worth and is not about defending or justifying yourself. I think the third step is to really repair, evaluate, restore. And maybe there's a combination of these three or one that particularly stands out to you. What I know to be true is when we have these one-on-one conflicts or these one-on-one breakups, there are usually collateral consequences. Right? It's not just us and them, and us operating in a vacuum. We are all connected to other beings, whether it's in our communities, according to our identities, physically, energetically, emotionally, we are connected to one another. So when there is a breakdown individually, there's multiple breakdowns that have happened that led up to that, and that also need to be tended to as part of a breakup, right? So here you want to be thinking about who. Or what else is impacted? Are there other family members, other employees, maybe other friends? Who or what has been neglected in this process? Sometimes it's ourselves, right? Sometimes who we need to follow up with is ourselves. We need to look at like, how did I get here? How is this a pattern? How well did I communicate? Like, how well did I stay in integrity with my values and what I believe to be true? What would I do differently, right? Sometimes, in and in particularly in a workplace conflict, I ask people to look at what is the impact on the culture? When two employees have a conflict or there's a break in relationship, the rest of people suffer, right? Because there's also a cultural norm breakdown. Or one that has been reinforced, right? I recently, in the in the past couple of months, was I uh, was asked to do a, a microaggressions training for an organization, and as I broke down why I would not do that, that's a, that's a separate podcast. One of the reasons is the traditional model of how we teach microaggressions is like person A says something to person B and there's a perpetrator, and there's a victim, and we have to solve this interpersonal thing between A and B. What I was naming is, first of all, there are lots of ways that that setup doesn't work in terms of perpetrator-victim, and also it's not always a verbal thing or directly to someone who is harmed by that microaggression, who has that identity, but the biggest point I wanted to make to this organization is that when person A does something towards person B, and the rest of the culture sits by silently there's an impact there's a norm that is created or reinforced of staying silent when other people are being harmed right there's a norm being reinforced that people who are on the receiving end have to then confront and educate and do it in a way that you know is also very nice and doesn't ruffle feathers and doesn't make people uncomfortable there are ways that culture and the norms of our culture either get broken down or get reinforced in ways that will harm other people. So if you're thinking about a breakup, it would be helpful to be thinking, what are those other pieces? Is it culture? Is it other relationships? Is it other folks? Is it beliefs, right? And what I believe is this is really important because these breakups, like they come in cycles. Like I told y'all I've been in a phase of breakups. It hasn't been like just this year. I've seen the same iteration of something that I've communicated and I've seen the same iteration of something that I have committed to, right? Like since I have named that I want to be in integrity with my work, my work needs to be aligned. The personal and the professional is intermingled, right? That, that how I do my work is as important as the work that I actually do, right? Since I have named that, I have been tested in so many arenas and in so many ways around that commitment, right? So trust, the test is coming again, y'all. And you probably noticed this. There's like these cycles. It's a pattern. I say, I really care about this. I'm committed to this. And then something comes along like, are you sure, Stephanie? Are you sure? Are you sure about that? (laughs) Are you going to act out your commitment, even if it's hard, even if it's tough, even if it means saying no, right? And so I would reframe this into thinking about How can I be thankful for all the opportunities to get it together, to get it right? How can I get excited about trying again? How can I discover new ways to take care of myself and center myself and really pour into that commitment? So I think the truth here is like, it's something that I've continued to verbalize over the past maybe couple months or so. And it's just something that I don't think that we're necessarily taught. And so it comes as as a surprise to me sometimes. That, you know, there's a lot of emphasis, a lot of training, a lot of education around people telling the truth and people like naming what is and people asking for what they need. And I think the conventional wisdom around that is like, do it because it's the right thing to do. Do the right thing. Right. Say no. Show up. Stop people from harming other folks. The reality of doing the right thing, telling the truth, naming the thing, is that that's not always an easy path. And actually, I think it's it's usually the harder choice or the most uncomfortable choice or the thing that could, quote unquote, get you in trouble because the norm is to pretend like it's not happening. The norm is to stay silent. The norm is to take the abuse or the harm and not say anything. The harm actually requires it right? That you stay quiet, that you don't talk to other people, that you don't tell your truth. And so I think even talking about this is is a way for us to get more comfortable with the fact that when we tell the truth, sometimes that means negative consequences follow. When we ask for what we need or reinforce our boundaries, sometimes we lose relationship. When we stay in alignment with our values and in integrity with how we want to do the work, sometimes we don't get the gig, we don't get the check. And I think we have to be okay with it. We have to be okay with it. And I think those tests will continue to come until we get settled in that. I believe in this thing so much. This value is so precious to me. My peace, my boundaries, how I center myself, my commitments, they're so important that I might have to look weird or get rejected or not get the check or break up this friendship or not be with my partner because it's that important to me. So I'm going to end there because I feel like I'm going to a whole other segment. We could talk about other things that might be helpful as you are thinking about breaking up and preparing to break up and actually, when you actually do the breakup. But I just want to pause here and I know that there's so much wisdom in the folks that listen to this podcast. We all have been through some kind of breakup. Again, romantic, platonic, partnership, professional role, um, making a decision, stepping into a community, stepping out of, calling in, calling out folks, right? So we're always doing it and there's so much wisdom. I would love to hear from you about how you've navigated breakups beginning from when you knew you needed to all the way through what happened afterwards. How did you repair? How did you restore? How did you evaluate? So please hit us up on social media. I love hearing from people on Twitter and Instagram who find us and tell me about how they're listening to the show, what they think about the show, and what like their wisdom for the topic at hand. So let us know, what do you think about this segment? What do you think about this topic? What has been really helpful for you as you've navigated breakups? What are some helpful reminders or tips or mantras or phrasings? You know, like give us, give us a scoop. We want to hear from you. Okay, it is that time in the show. i got to get to signing off, but I do want to stay connected with y'all in so many ways. Here's how you can find Take Nothing When I Die. So, if you like the show, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss anything. When you subscribe on your platform of choice, as soon as an episode uploads, it will be downloaded to your device. So, make sure you like, favorite, subscribe. And if you have a few minutes, please leave a review. Apple Podcasts makes it really easy to do so. You can also find us on social media. We are on Twitter at Tnwid and also on Instagram at take nothing when I die all spelled out. If you want to build community with us in a different way, check out patreon.com slash Tnwid. Over on Patreon, we've got videos of the podcast if you like visuals, more tidbits and takeaways from me, and even better, a community of living ancestors. These folks are loyal fans and supporters of the podcast. They are able to ask questions of me, and there's some exclusive content that you will literally not see anywhere else on the internet from me. So head on over to Patreon to join that community. If you are feeling generous and if you got it like that and you want to give some coin, you can always do so through a one-time donation, which supports the production of this podcast as well as my coaching and consulting work. You can find me on PayPal at paypal.com slash Stephanie ghostin, just my name. On Venmo, it's stephanie ghostin, and you'll see a picture of me. And on Cash App, it's the dollar sign. S-L-G-H-O-S-T-O, S-L-G-O-S-T-O. Also, don't forget to check out the show notes page. StephanieGoston.com slash T-N-W-I-D is where I house all of the episodes as well as the show notes. It's there. You'll find all the links that I've mentioned, both to social media, to the Patreon page, to the donation links, as well as more information about our guests and. All the resources mentioned during the show. So if you missed something, or you're like, What was the spelling of that one thing that so and so named? or you just want to see some great artwork, memes, and doodles, go on over to my site, stephanieghostincom TNWID. This is my time, y'all. I have to sign off. Again, this, this is your host, Stephanie Ghostin Paul. I'm bringing you the Take Nothing When I Die podcast, and I'm leaving you with your reminder that you are a living ancestor take care and hope to talk soon